actually one of the quotes we're going to put out on the tables for the missions banquet came from not really that song, but whoever said those words before the song was written. Uh, today, we're not going to be having children's church. The, uh, the, I was informed this morning that Brother Strader got injured yesterday, and he was not going to be able to be here. So kids, you're going to be stuck with us today. But this is a good opportunity to say, hey, Dad, I love you. I'm going to sit with you. So if you're not near your dad, you might want to move, okay? So, but <laughs> let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter number 3. 1 Peter chapter number 3. Tonight we're going to be having Brother Dodelaire, Jeremy Dodelaire and his wife, who are with us this morning. But he is going to be doing the presentation and uh, doing the preaching for the evening service. So I encourage you to be back with us in the evening service to hear about their ministry over in France. First uh, Peter chapter 3, verse number 7. We're just going to cover one verse today. <clears throat> one verse says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Now today is Father's Day, and I want to remind men today that fathers of all of our responsibilities in marriage, our, our relationship with our wife is probably one of the most important responsibilities that we have. As a father, you could be no greater father than a, than a husband who loves his wife and treats her the way that he should be. Our kids need to see fathers who are passionately in love with their wives and who honor God in the way that they interact with them. They need to see good husbands because good husbands are far and few between, right? Are they not? It's, it's hard to find good husbands out there. The next generation doesn't have a whole lot of examples of what godly men and good fathers look like. My generation did not have this. And so when you look at my generation and how they're ambling, ambling around in the dark, stumbling, making mistakes constantly, well, how are they supposed to know where to go? They've had no examples to, to follow. And so as husbands, we need to set that example for our kids of how a man should treat his wife within marriage, how to be a godly husband. And today I want to show you how to be a, God, a good husband from 1 Peter 3, verse 7. We've talked about the of the husbands. We've been working through a series on the home in Sunday evenings, other than this month. And we've talked about how the husband's responsibility is, first of all, to love his wife as Christ loved the church. And that's a sacrificial love. That's love that gives of itself for the benefit of his wife. We also talked about how the husband is supposed to be the leader within the home. We actually spent three whole messages establishing God's original intent was that the man would be the leader in the home, but that this leadership would be a servant leadership within the home. But today we're going to look at the responsibility that the husband has. The, the husband has a responsibility to know his wife, to know his wife. And we'll talk a little bit more about what that means. One of my favorite stories in all of literature is a book called The Horse and His Boy. I've told this story once before. It's written by C.S. Lewis. It's part of the Chronicles of Narnia series, okay? But in the, in the horse and his boy, there, there's this kid who is born into a cruel world. He is basically forced into slavery from a young age. His name is Shasta. He was raised as a slave by a cruel master. And one day his master decides he's going to sell Shasta to an even worse master. And Shasta finds out about this. 
Now, I'm going to very much simplify this story, okay? So, but Shasta finds out that his horse is a talking horse from Narnia. And he and his horse decide to run off to Narnia to escape this cruel master. And along their journey, they come across a, a young princess who has also run away with her talking horse, okay? Surprise, there's two talking horses in the same area, okay? And they, they run off together to go to Narnia to escape cruel oppression. She's running away because she doesn't want to be forced to marry somebody she does not love. But the whole time, she treats Shasta like he is a piece of trash because he's just a common boy, right? She is a princess related to the, the wealthiest people of the kingdom, but he is just a lowly servant boy. But as they get closer to Narnia, they come to this country called Auchenland. And this, again, I'm condensing the story a lot. It comes out that Shasta is not just a common servant boy. Shasta is actually the eldest twin son of the king of Auchenland. He is royalty. In fact, he's even higher royalty than she would have been. But she treated him the way that she treated him because she didn't know who he was, right? That's, that's the key to the story right there. She treated him like trash because she thought he was just a lowly servant boy. And she was this elevated, rich uh, aristocrat. And I think a lot of times as husbands, we treat our wives wrongly because we do not know who they actually are. So the question I want to ask to, to you husbands today is this. Do you know the woman that is sitting right next to you? Luke, your wife's not sitting right next to you. I'm sorry, okay. And I, I, mine's not either. Okay, so, but do you know the woman who is sitting right next to you? How do, well do you know her? What makes her tick? I think in our society, men have pretty much given up on understanding their wives, right? Have you ever said this, women are a mystery, you can't ever understand them? I've said it, okay? So people have said it. It's, it's a common belief among men. But here's the truth of this passage. This passage tells you to dwell with your wife according to knowledge. What does that imply? You can know her. You can understand her. Maybe not perfectly. They are different. It is, it is a puzzle. It is a mystery. But you can know her. God doesn't tell us to do things that we cannot actually do. This verse clears us to tell, tells us to know our wives. What makes her happy? What does she want from life? How about from your marriage? What does she desire out of this marriage? What makes her upset? Now, I have a question for you guys, and I, I, I tended to buy a prize. So if, um, if you guys get this question right, I'll get you the prize at another date, okay? But I have a question for you. To the first I have a prize for the first man who can raise their hand and tell me their wife's shoe size. Your wife may not want you to tell me, so if she nudges you, keep your hand down. Okay, so Pastor Carsey's. Seven. Is that right, Mrs. Carsey's? What is, what is your shoe size? <laughs> so... Seven? Okay. You don't want the prize. Okay. Dan, you are the next one to raise your hand. Six and a half. Is that correct? You didn't whisper it to him, did you? No? Okay. So I will have your prize probably next Sunday. You don't want a prize either? Okay. I got, I got a prize open. Anybody? Okay. Daniel. Nine. Is that true? Okay. Size nine for joy. So little... <laughs> you're getting the prize. I'm giving it to you. Okay. So... <laughs> But little details like that, sometimes, yeah, you think, okay, who cares what sh shoe size she has? What if her shoes fall apart and you got, need to go buy her shoes all of a sudden, you know? Or what if she's in the hospital and you want to make her look nice the day she gets out of the hospital so you go buy her a brand new pair of shoes? How are you going to know what to buy, right? <clears throat> Ultimately, it is our responsibility as men to be students of our wives, to know them. 
the little details, but the more important details, right? And I think most of us have pretty much given up on that. We've caved into the world's way of thinking that wives are a mystery that we can never understand. Now, the book of 1 Peter, I taught through it in Sunday school. I don't know how many, how long ago it was, but it's at least a year now. So, at least a year ago. And the main theme for the whole book of 1 Peter is that we are a chosen people of God, separate, distinct from the world. We are strangers and pilgrims. How then should we live because of that fact? And taking that into account, the way I live as a husband, a Christian husband, should be distinct from the way uh, husbands live in the world, should it not? 1 Peter 2 verse 11 says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you, as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. We are strangers and pilgrims. Our lives should look different than the lives of the world. The way we conduct our marriages should be different than the, way we, than the way the world conducts their marriages. And one of the areas in which we can be different from the world is in dwelling with our wives according to knowledge, as this text said. <clears throat> Christian men, this message is a call for you to make your marriages something different than what the world expects of you. This is a call for husbands to be the husbands that God has called you to be. Now, of this verse, it's a very short verse, but we're going to ask three questions, okay? We're going to ask three questions and try to answer them. First one is this, what are we commanded to do? What is it exactly that God wants us to do, okay? Second one is, how do we do that, okay? And thirdly, why should we do that, okay? So first of all, what are we commanded to do? First, uh, let's go and read the verse again. It says, likewise, ye husbands, what's the command? Dwell with them according to to knowledge. The main verb there, the main command is to dwell with your wife. Now dwell literally means to share the same house as somebody. In fact, the word house is in the Greek word for this word here. To share the same house with somebody. Now I think most men have this down pat, right? Okay? They share the same house with their wife. But that's all that they share with their wife. And I don't think that's what Peter is trying to get across here. Most men, they come home from work and they immediately sit down in front of the TV, whether it's news or some TV show or some other thing that they want to watch. Some, a lot of families eat their meals separately. They, husbands and wives sleep in different rooms and in different beds. Their schedules are so busy that they hardly ever see each other. And they have different interests, so they don't spend any time enjoying life together with their wives. In essence, what they are doing is just dwelling. But the command isn't just to dwell with your wife. It isn't just to share the same house as your wife. Okay, that's, that's no different than what the world does. Peter is telling us to dwell with our wives, how? According to knowledge. It isn't enough just to live with my wife. Maybe you're even a faithful husband and you pay the bills, but, you're not, but this is not flourishing in your marriage. Your marriage can be more than all of that. That's what God wants from us. He wants more than just all of that, more than just living together, more than just sharing the same house together. We are to dwell with them according to knowledge. But the key question we need to ask ourselves is this, knowledge of what? Okay, I feel like Pastor Carsey's here. Of what? The questions we should ask ourselves of this text. What is this knowledge supposed to be about? Some believe it's a knowledge of God. Some believe it's a knowledge of salvation or the scriptures. 
And I think all of those things are good answers to that question, but they aren't the context's answer to this question. Knowledge of what? The answer is this, knowledge of her. Knowledge of her. Something about her that is true. And he's going to tell us more in more detail what that knowledge should be. But we should know our wives. We must know our wives. Many husbands are, not, are happy not knowing their wives really well. But Peter, Peter says that in our past lives, we lived in ignorance, not knowing. And that was fine, and, that, and that's how we lived in our past life. But as Christians, we are not to live according to ignorance. We are to live according to knowledge. 1 Peter 1, verse 14 and 15 says, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to your, the former lusts in your ignorance, which as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. As a lost person, you lived ignorantly. You were ignorant of your wife. You were ignorant of her needs. You were ignorant of how to be a good, godly husband. But the Christian is not called to live in that ignorance. We are not to fashion ourselves according to our former lusts, our former desires that we had in our ignorance. But we are to have knowledge. We need to know some things about our wives. First of all, I already mentioned this one, what makes her happy? Okay, what delights your wife? For Mother's Day, is it the vacuum cleaner? Probably not that you bought her, okay? So what makes her happy? Some wives really want that nice $200 vacuum cleaner for Mother's Day. But to be honest, that's probably not most wives, okay? So what distresses her? What makes her upset? What makes her anxious in life, okay? Now, I can be very high-strung at times. I can, I can get anxious at times. Um, and women, women tend to be that way too. I think more women tend to be more anxious than men do. Uh, but what makes them anxious? What causes them to feel that way? And how can we eliminate some of those things from their life? Okay? What, how is she doing emotionally? Are you just coasting through your day every single day assuming, my wife's feeling fine, everything's good because I feel fine, right? Okay? Maybe she's having a bad day and you just don't see it. When your wife answers you, when you ask her, how are you doing today? And your wife says, fine, or doesn't talk to you at all, that should be a tip-off that something is wrong, okay? Men, don't be ignorant, okay? So if your wife answers in those ways, you need to stop and find out what's going on. But how is she doing emotionally? How about physically? Does she have a physical issue that's going on that she just hasn't told anybody about, including you maybe? How is she doing? What about spiritually? I don't think men do this hardly at all to find out how your wife is doing spiritually, to have that spiritual relationship with your wife, that communion with her, to bring her into your spiritual life, to be on the same page, to talk about spiritual things. What are her spiritual struggles? Does she have a hard time trusting God when the bills don't seem to be getting paid? Is she struggling with depression when she, when things are going bad or when she's given into sin once again and she feels like the Lord could never forgive her, how is she doing spiritually and what can we do to help her? What obstacles is she facing in life? What things are coming up that are making life hard for her to get through? What spells romance to her? Men, women interpret romance differently than you do and you need to understand that. You need to find out how that works for your wife. You need to find out, I, I know we've talked about probably the five love languages in the past. Everybody interprets love differently. 
There are different things that we prioritize in expressing love and receiving love. How does your wife interpret love and romance? Um, maybe, maybe you think giving gifts is the way to show love, and so you constantly are buying her gifts, but you never tell her you love her. You're constantly criticizing her. You never spend any time with her, but you bought her a ton of gifts. She should know I love her, right? No, okay? You've got to know your wife. You've got to understand her. What are her hobbies? Men, we're really selfish people. At our core, we are really selfish people. We want to do what we want to do. We want to do what makes us happy. We want to do what interests us. And we never stop to think about our wives and what interests them. What are her hobbies? What are her interests? What makes her happy to do? If she likes to go pick up rocks on the beach and you think this is a boring waste of time looking at a bunch of rocks that look exactly the same over and over again, you need to know those things. And you should love her enough to do those things, right? Does she feel appreciated in the home? You might be thinking, oh, I told her I loved her the day we got married. That's all I need to tell her, right? And uh, I told her that I was happy she was my wife on Mother's Day, and that's it, right? Does your wife feel appreciated? What are her goals in life? Is her goal just to make you happy? Is that, is that the only goal your wife could ever possibly have? What goals might she be interested in? And, goal, and desires, that sh things that she wants to accomplish in her life. My wife has mentioned uh, that she is interested in a couple things, but in possibly being a midwife someday, okay? Do I have to make her live her entire life helping me accomplish my goals? Or can I take steps to help her accomplish the goals that she has in life, things that interest her? As a husband, I need to know those things, and I need to study my wife. Here's a, t here's a case study. Ask yourself this, okay? Ask yourself, for instance, what do you do as a husband when you come home from work in the evening? Perhaps you're one of those husbands who walks to the door, plops down on the couch, turns on the television, and begins to flip mindlessly through so many channels that it's impossible to focus on any single pro program. Meanwhile, your wife's been waiting to talk to you all day long and she sits down right next to you, and you just keep on flipping. These days, it's probably your cell phone or your Xbox, okay? And you're flipping through Facebook on your, on your phone or playing a video game, and your wife has been waiting all day to talk to you, and you kind of blow her off, right? <clears throat> so what do you do in that moment? How do you act as a husband? Why do, and your wife's probably thinking, why doesn't he turn off the television and talk to me instead? Does he not love me? Does he not care? I think about some other, other thoughts that the wife might have going in, in her mind, that questions you need to ask. Have you, have you even thought how hard her day might have been? You're probably thinking, oh, I've been slaving at work all day long. I deserve 15 minutes to sit down and, and just veg on the TV. Was her day any easier? Have you thought that she might emotionally need time to, sp to be with you? Have you thought that the only intelligent conversation she has had all day long has been with a three-year-old? Okay, have you thought about that? Okay, and maybe she just wants to talk to somebody who can form a whole sentence for once, okay? 
Maybe she's overwhelmed by the constant tornado of mess that the kids have made. Okay, this is, this is a constant struggle in our family because I am a clean freak, and my wife knows that and wants to keep a clean house, but my kids never put anything away. Sorry, kids. Okay, so, so, it is, so you can have the house clean, and then five minutes later, it's a complete tornado again. Okay? And she knows this, and she's stressed by it, and when you walk in the door and you start criticizing, why is this house a mess? Have you thought to ask that maybe the kids crazy and and she's been trying all day long to keep it in under control and it, you know what it was a losing battle the entire day and she's stressed by that do you know that about your wife maybe she would like to have a second to just sit down and relax like you want when you come home from work a mother's life never ends right as men we are called to provide more than just financially for our wives not just provide a house and food on the table and pay the bills, but we are called to live with them based on a good knowledge of them. But how do we do that? That's the second question. How do we do this? Let's look back at the verse. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife. The next phrase tells us how to do this. By giving honor by giving honor. And I'll explain how that relates to knowing our wives. But if we truly value our wives, we are going to pay attention to all of those moments when she loses it. We're going to pay attention to all of those details that are important to her, the things that distress her. We will study her to make sure that we know how to make her happy. We know how to please her. We know how to, to, to do what's best for her. And ultimately, honor means to value and to respect her, right? We are to give honor. We are to value her. We are to respect her. She should be like a precious vase that is worth a million dollars. We'll come back to that illustration. But that precious vase that's worth a million dollars, do you play catch with it in the living room? Only if you're Joshua and Adriel, okay? No. So you don't play catch with a million dollar vase because it's worth something. It has value, and you know it. <clears throat> She should be like that vase. You'll do everything that you can to protect and to take care of her. Some men value cars. Okay? Um, my favorite car is a Porsche 911 black with uh, perfectly white lights on the front. I love, I love that car. Okay? I'll never have one. I promise you, I will never have one. Okay? So, but, it, but it is a nice car. But some men love cars so much, and they can tell you how much horsepower it has, all the bells and whistles that have been installed on it, all the gadgets and features that are added to it. Uh, they, they work on it day in and day out. They spend a lot of time on their car because they value it. But because they value it, what th can they tell you about it? They can tell you everything about that car. They can tell you who manufactured it and in what year and in what factory and all these little details about what they value. Some men value hobbies. And they can tell you every detail about the tools of their trade, their hobby that they want to do. Some men value technology. And so they can tell you the latest computer that's coming down the line and how it's improved in speed over the previous versions, the processor speed, the RAM, all those details that are embedded into that computer. They can tell you every little detail. But why are they so obsessed with the details of those things? Because they value it. They honor it in their life. It is something important to them. So because they value it, because they honor it, they know all those facts. When you know you value your wife the way that you should, 
you will know all these things that you need to know about her. Do you, do you honor your wife? Do you value her the way that you should? If you do, you're going to know those details. You're going to know those things. What you value is what you will know. Peter teaches us two truths about our wives that we need to know about them, though, in this text. It says, by giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life. These are the two things we need to know about our wives to give them the honor that they, they need to, to receive. And a lot of people jump at that phrase, as onto the weaker vessel, and think, oh, that is so, that is so chauvinistic of, of the Bible to say that women are the weaker vessel. Let's talk about what that actually means. And let's talk about what the implication of that phrase actually is. Why is it, first of all, that she is called a Okay, The fact that she is, com that she is a weaker vessel implies that the man is a what? Stronger vessel. They are both vessels. Men and women are vessels. In uh, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7, let's go ahead and turn there real quick. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. <clears throat> Not going to delve into the context in depth here, but just look at this verse in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. It says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. In this verse, it's talking about our bodies and how within our bodies we have stored up within it the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. As believers, that is stored in our vessel, in our physical bodies, our earthen vessels. So when she is called a vessel, it is merely talking about the fact that, that she has a body. Our vessel is our body. It holds our soul, and it is what we use to give glory to God. So when you ask, what does it mean when we say she is a weaker vessel? What it is saying is that she, has a, she is weaker physically. That is the implication of this text. She is weaker physically. And I know this is very unpopular to say today because of trans sports, right? Okay, a lot of people want to imagine that women as a whole are just as strong and can do anything that the men can do. I think there was a soccer game recently, wasn't there, where the, was it soccer, where the women and the men played together and the men like obliterated them? Can't remember, it was like 40 some points, something like that, I don't know. Was that? 12-0, okay, yeah, there you go. Okay, but as a whole, women are physically weaker than men, as a whole. Now, that doesn't mean if I take uh, Kyle, and have him arm wrestle with joy that Kyle's going to win, does it? Okay, Because he's a male, does he automatically win? No, if I pick any random two people, <laughs> if, I, if I pick any random two people, that doesn't mean the man's always going to win. But as a whole, as a general, generality, men are stronger than women. When it comes to women's sports, men are always going to outperform. And so when you have a transgendered woman, man, okay, participating in the sport, he is always going to outdo the women. He will always be better at it, unless it's Kyle. Okay, no, anyways, so, okay. Um, because he just has that natural advantage to him, okay? We, they tried this back in the day with tennis. They tried this with basketball, and the men always outperformed the women. This is just a fact of life. This is how God created us, okay? But just because she is weak 
physically doesn't mean she is worthless. Okay, that's the issue. Most women interpret physical weakness with worthlessness, with value, and they assume this makes me less valuable. But what did Peter tell the husbands to do? Honor, give value to your wife as the weaker vessel. Something about being the weaker vessel gives more value, more honor to the wife. Going back to our illustration on, on the vase, that million-dollar vase, is it fragile? Yes. Will it break easily? Yes. But because it will break easily, I take care of it more. I take care of it more than that rock that I have sitting on the counter that is also worth a million dollars because that rock probably isn't going to break as easily as the vase will. I add honor to it. I value it because it is breakable, because it is fragile. And so I take care of it with extra care. And I think that the way, we, the way we look at our wives, we should look at her as a vessel of God. She has within her the spirit of God. She has within her the ability to give glory to God. And yes, she is weaker physically, but because of that, I should take care of her. I should respect her. I should honor her. And in doing so, I honor my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Matthew 25, verse 40 says, And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. So she is called a weaker vessel because she is physically weaker. Men have that genetic advantage. But because of that, God has ordained that men, husbands specifically, should be the protector. They should protect their wives physically, emotionally, and spiritually. I think a lot of times we think, oh, I'm a protector because I got a gun in the safe, right? Okay, So I'm the physical protector of my home. But are you the emotional protector of your wife or the spiritual protector of your wife? How are you protecting your wife? We also provide. We provide for them. And we provide leadership. And as the leaders, we show initiative within the relationship. <clears throat> so we show her honor by taking care of her, by protecting her, by providing for her. So it says, first of all, to give honor unto her as the, uh, as the weaker vessel, but also as being heirs together of the grace of life. Now, when you look up this phrase in commentaries, you're going to find opinions that vary. I'm going to give you my opinion, okay? Because I think the context fits my opinion on the, on the meaning of this text. As human beings created in the image of God, we are heirs and rulers over the gift of life, over creation. This is both men and women. We already talked about this. The image of God applies to both men and women. We are both commanded to have dominion over the face of the earth as image bearers for God. And many, many commentators take this grace of life and they say this is spiritual life. We are heirs together of salvation. Okay? I think that's taking it a stretch too far, and here's the reason. We pre we previously, we preached on verses uh, 1 through 6. And the whole context of verses 1 through 6, the primary application was between a saved wife and an unsaved husband. That's kind of the, con the connotation, the background behind this text. I don't think Peter is assuming the husband and the wife, both of them are saved in this verse. I think that's taking it too far because of the context, because of what he has been trying to get across. Every other relationship 
that he has dealt with in this text has been between a saved person and a lost person. A saved person and a lost person. Why would he change it in just one verse? Okay? So I, I take this verse as when it talks about the grace of life, the word grace means gift. The gift of life. Well, what is life? The way we understand it normally. Life is life. I have the opportunity to live and when I am married to my wife, we live together. We are co-heirs together of life. Everything that happens to me happens to my wife. All the blessings that I receive happen to my wife as well. All the trials and the hardships and the sorrows that happen in life happen to my wife as well. She is a co-heir of the grace, the gift of life. We share our lives together. And because we are co-heirs, we are sharers of this life, we should be working side by side with each other. She is not my servant. She is not my slave. She is not my dog that I treat her like trash. She is a co-heir alongside of me in this gift of life that I have. I do think for the Christian wife that this does speak a little bit more than just life itself. Because not only do we share life together, we share the glory and honor of eternal life in heaven. We will be heirs of that life. So there is a further application for the Christian wife. She is valuable to God. My wife is a son of God. My wife is an heir of God. My wife is loved by God. She is valuable to God. And as a fellow heir of the inheritance we have in Christ, she should be treated that way. Just like the princess in the story of, of Shasta didn't know that he was royalty, oftentimes we don't realize that our wives, the woman sleeping right next to us in bed, is spiritual royalty. She is valued by God just as much as we are. We should be amazed that we get to live life together with our wives. The idea of being heirs together doesn't mean that she is just participating in my life and my assistant. I should be helping her to flourish in the ways that God has called her to live her life. God's will for her life. God's design for her life. We are partners. And let her, we, I need to let her be my partner. Let her into your life and be a part of her life. That vase worth a million dollars. It is breakable, but it is valuable. And so you treat it with care and you treat it with pr protection and value. So as husbands... We are to give her honor because she is the weaker vessel and because she is a co-heir alongside of me of the grace of life. Now, here's some practical guidelines, okay? I always want to have some practical application here. Practical guidance for showing honor. How do you show honor? First of all, speak kindly to her. Don't treat her like your kids, okay? I've, I've recently become aware that there are actually husbands that spank their wives. Don't do that. She's not your kid. There's not a single Bible verse that tells you to do that, okay, guys? So stop if you're doing it, okay? So I don't think anybody is. But if it's happening, stop, okay? Don't treat her like your kids. You're not in charge of disciplining her like that. Don't talk to her like you do your kids. Don't act like she's a three-year-old who can't understand what you're trying to say. Treat her with respect. Don't treat her like your servants. And don't definitely do not treat her like your dog, okay? Now, I love my dog, so... I treat it pretty nice, yeah, maybe, except when it's being stupid. Yesterday, I broke out of the backyard through the garage because the garage door was open and ran all over the neighborhood, and I literally had to tackle her 
stuff to get her to stop because she wouldn't stop running. But don't treat your wife like that, okay? So, okay? Speak kindly to her, okay? Don't discuss her weaknesses with others. Yes, maybe sometimes they aggravate you, okay? But don't just go spilling all that vomit all over everybody else. Show her honor. Speak highly of her to your children, not just on Mother's Day. But praise, your, praise her to your children. Don't let your children talk down to her. Remember her special days, birthdays, anniversaries, Mother's Day, first date, I don't know, okay, however many special days that you guys keep track of, remember those. If they're important to her, they should be important to you, right? Do not compare her with other women. women. Don't say, well, so-and-so's wife, she cooks him steak and eggs every single morning for breakfast at 4.30 before he has to go into work every day. And you should be like that. Don't do that, okay? So don't compare her with other women. Those other women are not your wife. Your wife is your wife. And God knew that she was the one you needed. And he gave you exactly the wife that you need. That's exactly the one that he planned for you, okay? So first of all, what are we commanded to do? To dwell with her according to knowledge. How do we do that? By honoring her as the weaker vessel and as heirs together of the grace of life. But here's the, here's the kicker. Why should we do this? Why should you do that? Last phrase. That your prayers be not hindered. Your spiritual relationship is dependent on your relationship with your wife. If you do not treat your wife the way that you should, God is not listening to you. You do not have that relationship with God that you think you do. I have known men who are respected as godly preachers over large churches, spiritual men, but they treated their wives like slaves or an accessory to carry along to promote their popularity. Their wives were not allowed to have lives of their own. They were to be seen and not heard. And they put their wives down constantly, trying to keep her in their place. Those men were not godly men no matter how many people they had in their church, no matter how respected and how popular their name was, they were not godly men. I've seen other men who are just not interested in, all, in the lives of their wives. They aren't mean, they aren't abusive, but they don't take any special interest in their wife. They live separate lives for all practical purposes. These men are also not godly men because they are not walking with God. We talked, a relationship with God requires hearing from God through his word and prayer, right? Communicating with God. Well, if God's not hearing you, where's that, where's that relationship? Where's that communication gone? It's not there. It's impossible to be a godly man if you, have no, if you don't have the access to God through prayer, to have that relationship with him. And God is saying, if you aren't gonna be right with your wife, you're not right with me, period. Full stop, end of the line. The last phrase tells us that the cost of not obeying God in this area is that your prayers will be hindered. Hindered means to cut, be cut off, be sliced off, cut off. This verse is essentially saying that if you do not live with your wife according to knowledge and honor her and treat her right, God will not hear your prayers. You cannot be right with God and wrong with your wife at the same time. You cannot have a thriving relationship with God and your relationship with your wife is dying on the vine. You cannot be a great man of God and a horrible husband. Doesn't happen, period. They are fakes. They are not great men of God. Men, I said this is going to be a call for the husband to be 
what God wants you to be today. The challenge this morning is this. Do you know your wife? Are you living with your wife? Are you treating her with honor and respect based on what you know about her? Practically, I could say you should write down a list of questions that you should ask her, and you should sit down and spend some time communicating with her. Memorize those things. You memorize the facts about your favorite cars, right? Memorize your sports teams and all their stats. Can't you memorize your wife? Okay. You memorize for a test. Well, God's giving you a test today. But don't just make her a textbook. Live out those truths in your life. Let's go ahead and stand, heads bowed, eyes closed. We'll have a time of invitation this morning. So men, I am calling you not just to be godly fathers, but to be godly husbands today. How well do you know your wife? And how well are you allowing that to shape the way that you treat her?